Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. So, um, Danielle, why don't you just lead us off with a statement you have prepared for us? So, the statement that I have prepared for you is that mailing voting is the best thing that can ever happen to voting. Um, three reasons why. Number one, it's super easy. Number two, it's super easy. And if you have no idea what what this what's on the ballot, like you can sit at home and look things up. I have literally sat there and watched like full debates and was like, oh. I was going to vote for this person, but I guess I can vote for this person now. You know what I mean? It's so easy. And you can do it in your PJs. You don't have to stand in line. You don't have to see people. It's just the best. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. So back in the old days, Wheeler, when we used to actually see people face to face, mano y mano, um, I heard this story from Danielle Montgomery, the woman you just heard there. And she uh, works with us and mentioned that, hey, in Washington, they vote by mail. I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. They vote by mail here in Texas. No, no, no. They vote by mail solely in Washington. I sat back on my couch, had a glass of wine, got my computer out, and researched all the candidates. So I didn't go in blind to this election. I knew exactly who I was voting for and why I was voting for them, not because they had a an R or a D next to them, but because I knew what they stood for. Yeah, that is a totally different concept, isn't it? The idea of sitting on your couch and filling out a ballot, maybe over a couple of days, doing it over a glass of wine or a beer. Uh, and a lot of people are thinking about this now because, you know, we just recently saw that election in Wisconsin where people are standing there with masks on, uh, you know, trying to maintain distance from one another with this whole uh, pandemic thing going on. And and so a lot of people are talking about the idea of voting by mail. And so that's why we decided to make that our topic uh, this week on Yolitics. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening in. Absolutely. And the Texas Democrats last week had a huge legal win. They got a judge in Texas to agree that because of COVID-19, because of concerns about social distancing, because of concerns about being around other people, that the judge agreed that, that he would open up vote by mail to every Texan, not just people who have disabilities and senior citizens mm-hmm. or people who are maybe stationed overseas. Every Texan can now vote by mail. We also know that the attorney general, the Republican attorney general, Ken Paxton, has vowed to uh, appeal this decision. He says it is not up to a judge to create these laws. It's up to the legislature to decide whether every Texan can vote by mail. So that's the ground that he's the grounds that he says he's going to appeal this. So we've got a fight on our hands with this. Uh, We don't know how this all shakes out, uh, but we wanted to look into like, you know, what is this vote by mail thing all about? If you do it exclusively by mail, what are the concerns about fraud? What are the conveniences? Is there a cost to this? Is there a savings to this? 
Uh, and uh, we figured we're better to start than with the woman who sort of enlightened us, Jason. Uh, and uh, that is with uh, Daniela Montgomery, who is a colleague of ours, who is a transplant from Washington State. And she is missing her couch and her glass of wine and her mail-in ballot. Let's listen to her story here. So... Uh, Kind of talk us through this because, you know, here in Texas, we don't have it like this. Um, How does it work? So how it works is like two weeks before voting, um, two weeks before I vote, two weeks before the ballot is supposed to be turned in, they'll send it to you in the mail. And then once you get in the mail, like you can, it used to have, you used to have to put stamp on it, but then people got mad about that. So now you just drop it in the mailbox or you drop it in a ballot box, which actually um, a techno station, King 5, um, they did the story about why there was not enough ballot boxes. So the I lived in King County. So King County was like, okay, let's put more ballot boxes up. So like there's ample ballot boxes and you just drop it in. Like literally you put your signature on it and you just drop it in and go on back to business. No stamp required or anything. So there's no, no. impediment. No, nope. There's not anymore, no stamp, no nothing, which is crazy because when I first got there, I got there in 2016, so it was a really big election. And I was like, let me look at my polling place. And I was like, we don't do polling places. And I was so upset because I remember like as a kid going to the polls with my mom and dad, because they always went to vote together. And you know, as a kid, I'm like, oh, this is cool. I get to pull the lever. You know, we just made our voices heard. And I was like, I don't even get, I voted today sticker. Like mm-hmm. what is happening? Like, I don't understand this. I was on my soapbox. I was so upset but once I got that ballot and I was like oh I can take my time I don't have to rush I don't know who this person is I was like I'm so sold when I had to vote here I was like dude I got sent in line I gotta drive to this polling place it, I was mad <laughs> so, so tell us you voted in uh Washington t- state several times w- where did you literally vote on your sofa yeah I was literally like I had this little coffee table I was sitting on the floor with my laptop in my on my sofa like literally on my sofa anywhere and, and you had the laptop to do what so you know like even though I work in news um, I still didn't know like all the issues like county like um judges for my district so I was like who is this person and so like I would literally just go to their websites and look at their platforms and like watch the debates that they had with each other and make an informed decision about like hey who would be the best person to fit for my district in West Seattle I lived in West Seattle that you know that's interesting because we don't have uh, we're not going to have straight ticket voting this time around. Uh, and, and so you can't just punch that, you know, one button and you're done. And I think that most people don't really pay attention to those down ballot races. And you're able to actually sit there if you're doing this at home and, and do the homework and yeah. decide who you really are for. Yeah. Um, and also, like when it comes to taxes, because, you know, don't know how to like to play taxes is like, OK, so what is this tax actually going to like? You can go to like different news sites and like see like if they've done a story on it, like, OK, why this tax is important to this community, because for a while there, there was a tax in Washington for a better school because the population is growing so much that for it took them like five years to get it done. And like we noticed before the election, like that store would always pop up in our trending. So people and this was while ballots were out so people are actually going to that story to get information about where their money would go mm-hmm. so this is changing the way people vote and it's affecting it real time since ballots are out while issues are actually developing huh 
Yes. And that that can be the downfall. Like, I mean, just take the general election, like even if you didn't have to go to a poll, like when um, Elizabeth Warren dropped out before Washington even had a chance to vote. So it changes. But the negative side of it is when for us news people, it literally can take a week for you to get the results in because they do one drop at like eight o'clock. They do one drop, the ballots that they already got in, and they'll do another drop at three o'clock the next day until all mm-hmm. ballots are counted. So it could take a while for us to know the results. I mean, it's less stressful for us because, you know, you're not getting results coming in as you're still on air. And it's like, well, we don't know. We'll say tomorrow. But for Washington, it takes about a week. Daniela, can you tell us about when you're at home filling this thing out? How how long does it take you? I mean, do you do it in one sitting? Do you do it over like four oh nights? Oh God, do you have no. a glass of wine when you're doing it? How does it work? <laughs> the last time I did, I did have a glass of wine. Uh, it took me a couple days. It didn't take because, uh, you know, there were some issues I already knew who I wanted. But like there were some people I didn't even know. So it did, I did it in a weekend. But you can do it in one setting. You can. Mm-hmm. As long as you have it in on the, the dead election, which this year would be what, November 4th or 3rd? Mm. Yeah, November 3rd by 8 p.m., you're fine. And there have been a couple times where I dropped it off at 7.30. You just, you just named the title of this podcast, Vote with a Glass of Wine. You, I'm, literally, it is the best thing you can do. It's the most low-key, less stressful thing you can do. If you can drink, I mean, if you want to fill out in a coffee shop, you can. You can fill out at work. I've seen people fill out at work before because it was like, this ballot is due today and I need to turn it in. So they're like, I'm going to take it to work and fill it out and drop it off on my way home. Here, one of the big issues in Texas, a lot of conservatives are concerned about ballot security that let's say there's a family of five or six people at home and someone starts voting and then, you know, another member says, well, you're an idiot if you vote for so-and-so or, or this, that, or the other. There, uh, There's a lot of concern about the, the undue influence of somebody else that you might have when you're voting on the couch with a glass of wine, <laughs> as opposed to when you're in like the little private booth down at your local elementary school or local church. But the thing is, is like you have a barcode, you can track your ballot. They give you a thing to where you can track your ballot and you have to sign it, which is it matches the signature on your driver's license. So they do tell you to like make sure you match the signature on your driver's license for fraud purposes. Mm. But yeah, you can track your ballot. As far as, yeah, that's all I know. You know, know, I've never had the best signature on my driver's license and I don't remember (laughs) how I I really signed it. It's like a little scratch, like (laughs) an X is what it was. And I, I, I could never you know, vote then if that was the case for Texas. <laughs> and you can and you can never seem to ep, uh, replicate that same scratch out. You know, I like to sign my name differently never. every single time, which can be a problem with something like this. What would you tell Texans who might be a little leery about this? Look, going to the polls now to me is a hassle, but I will make my voice heard and rather I have to get out of my car, go stand it online and wait for people to call for me and vote. Or you can sit at the conference of your own home, eat queso, drinking beer and wine, and cast your vote. Like, you be the judge. You had me at queso. Uh, so, so, so let me ask you this. Does, ha, ha, do you feel like the dynamics have changed this time around? You say that you're willing to you know, stand there, rain or shine, go to the polls if you have to, blah, blah, blah. But does this, does this time around feel different now just because of what we've been going through? Oh, yeah. It feels real different because... Um, Stuff is crazy, um, mm-hmm. and we, as America, we need a change, 
And um, the only way for that change to happen is if, if if you make your voice heard. And somebody always told me, if you don't vote, you can't complain. So those of you who are not voting, don't complain if you're not voting. Who told you that? I don't even know. Probably my mama, because she was always the one that was like, let me tell you what this woman did to me one time. So I turned 18 when I was still in high school and there was an election. I think it was like for mayor and sheriff. And my mother went to go vote and uh, me and my dad were sitting at home and she came back because the church was like right behind her house. And she was like, um, I just came back from voting and I didn't see none of y'all names on signatures on there saying you voted today. So if you don't go over there and vote, don't complain later. And I was like, me and my dad looked at each other and was like, well, I guess we got to go vote then. <laughs> and have you always voted since then? Uh, yeah, I may have missed a couple because, you know, in news, you move a lot. I think I missed maybe one because I move a lot. So, you know, I missed the voter registration deadline, but mostly, yeah, I do. I go to those polls. And and you grew up in Arkansas, right? I did. I'm Arkansas. I'm a Southern belle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, so Daniela, let's say that they don't end up doing the vote by mail thing. We've had a ruling in this, but let's say somehow it ends up where you got to stand in that line again. And I don't know, maybe be, try to be six feet apart or wear a mask or whatever. You're going to be out there doing it. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, I'm an early vote because a lot of people don't do that. They don't early vote, and that's when you have the less people is um, yes. doing early voting, and people don't take advantage of that. When they say, oh, I didn't have time to vote, I'm like, well, early voting opened two weeks before the, the, before the election day. So for you not to say, like, you didn't have time to vote, like, what were you doing in these two weeks? If you need a babysitter, mm-hmm. honey, call me. I'll watch your children while you go cast your vote <laughs> because it's important. Like, I mean, as you see now, like, our country, like, right now, we are, we are looking to our federal government, our local leaders, our county leaders, our state leaders to get us through a pandemic. And if you're not voting and making your voice heard for someone you think who could be a good manager, as um, President Trump's um, son-in-law said, like we're looking for people who can be good managers. But if you're not helping vote for good managers, then we never know what tomorrow will bring. Wow. You running for office? I know. No. Huh? I got, I got, wow. no, I got too many so, skeletons. I can't do that. <laughs> so, I don't think that's an issue these days. Right. It, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter anymore. You can have as many as you want. So vote, voting by mail or uh, early voting, that two-week period, which one do you like better? Mail. I can drink my wine. I can't drink in public. People may judge me, especially if they see me getting in my car. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Can't do that. <laughs> So the reason this podcast is is a little late being published today is because we wanted to get a state official from Washington State, the Secretary of State, who has run for office. She is an elected official out there on the West Coast. She's also a Republican, mm-hmm. one of the very few Republicans, Jason, who is elected in a statewide office on the West Coast. Yeah, and so we caught up with her. She is actually still going into the office. Uh, we caught up with her in her office there in the Capitol, in Olympia. She is not officing from home. And uh, she is all about this. She's sort of the poster child for let's do mail-in voting. Uh, and so we asked her how this works, and we got into that whole F word, fraud, uh, to find out you know, what her thoughts are about that, because we hear so much about the concern about fraud. This is Secretary of State Kim Wyman from the state of Washington. Tell us about uh, voting by mail in Washington state. This works in Washington. 
It does work in Washington. And, you know, unlike what Texas and the rest of the country is going to go through in the next few weeks, trying to ramp up and, and spend the next few months ramping up expanded absentee voting and vote by mail, Washington has actually been doing this for about 20 years. And even with that said, it took us five years to go from poll site voting to vote by mail when our state wanted to move to vote by mail. So, um, you know, you really need to build in the controls and the, the, the things that are going to be able to uh, help you answer the questions about voter fraud and how do you know the election wasn't uh, thrown. Mm-hmm. How do you how does somebody start this process then? Because I think some people are thinking, you know, hey, maybe we can have this in place by November. Uh, is is that totally unrealistic? I don't think it's unrealistic, but it's going to take a lot of work and coordination and a lot of partnerships across the country. And so the good news story, I think, is that the 2016 election really connected election officials in a new way because of the critical infrastructure designation the president made. So we have been talking as a community across the country really in depth about election issues for the last uh, four years. So where we were four years ago, we couldn't do what we're going to be able to do today. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a heavy lift. You mentioned voter fraud. I'm curious, have you heard from uh, anyone in Texas? Have they reached out to you guys at all? Uh, between my election director and I, we have spoken to election officials in every state and Puerto Rico. So, yes, I'm sure we have talked to someone in Texas. But, um, but uh, yeah, voter fraud is, is certainly the thing that the president has highlighted across the country. And I think it's on top of mind. And, and you can build in controls to instill confidence. Well, what, what would you tell conservatives in Texas who are concerned that a portion of the vote might, you know, might be fraudulent? And, and the biggest concern here is going to be whether someone uh, you know, coerces or unduly influences an older person, a disabled person to vote in a specific way. What would you tell conservatives here in this state? Well, remember, any type of voting system could be subject to fraud, Um, just the same way that anyone could rob a bank. If you or I really wanted to rob a bank right now, we could walk in with a gun and we probably could walk out with some cash. They put put in a lot of controls to prevent that from happening, and then they have a lot of things on the back end to prosecute us when we're found and throw us into prison. Elections are the same way. And if you think of the polling place environment, you have a lot of things in place to try to instill confidence where people can observe. You have safeguards to uh, to control the number of ballots that you have uh, issued to voters, how many ballots go into the ballot box, that type of thing. And you compare it to the voter registration list. In a vote by mail or absentee voting um, environment, you have those same controls. Um, in our state, for example, every single return ballot has to be signed by the voter it was issued to. And those signatures are compared to the signature we have on file on the voter registration uh, record. So you can build Secretary, those controls. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, go ahead. No, okay. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask you, so it seems like uh, vote by mail has become a, a partisan issue when we uh, talk about it in different parts of the country. Uh, why is that, do you think? And was it that way when Washington decided to go this route? You know, I, I think for the last century in America, election administration has been politicized. And you can look at different points on the curve. Uh, most recently, of course, civil rights movement forward, um, where the two camps have their their mantra. On the right, it's voter fraud. And 
on the left, it's voter suppression. And we've made a host of uh, federal and state laws to uh, to try to address both of those issues. And they you know get challenged in court frequently. And and I think that this is just a new topic, but it's the same conversation. And and unfortunately, both camps are kind of going to their their status quo of voter fraud and voter suppression. And an election administrator's job is to instill confidence. And that's really where I'm trying to spend my time. And I appreciate uh, organizations, news organizations like yours taking time to really vet these issues. Because at the end of the day, there's a reason we have a peaceful transition of power in this country and have a long history of it. People believe at a foundational level that the election was fair and accurate. And the way that you get there is you balance access and security. So you, if you make things really accessible, then you've got to build in the same kind of controls so that people, no matter where they are on the polit- political spectrum, believe the results were fair. What, what kind of political controls has Washington built into its system? <laughs> no political controls. Um, but, but, uh, but, but let, let me, yeah, yes. yeah, let me rephrase that. Yes. What, what kind of what kind of controls has Washington built in to make sure that this is a fair election, even though it's vote by mail? Um, so, so like I said, the linchpin for us is the signatures, but um, is it more than that? It's being very transparent in how we do our, our business. So each of our counties are the ones, uh, county auditors are the ones that run elections here in Washington state. And so their processes, um, they engage uh, Democrats and Republicans to come in and observe any part of that process. Um, we, we make it very accessible and, and, you know, there's cameras in most of the uh, election counting centers now, for example, people can go online and watch the activity it's a lot like watching grass grow, but watch that activity happen. <laughs> um, but uh, but the other things you, you look at, um, our state enacted uh, same day registration back in 2019. So this is where any voter up till eight o'clock election night can walk into a polling place, excuse me, walk into a county courthouse and register and vote, be handed a ballot. And so I had to, to work with the county auditors to build in the security for the critics that will say, well, somebody will just drive down the I-5 corridor and hit every county on election day and get a ballot and vote it. Well, the, the nice thing is, is we modernized our election system and we have a, an integrated statewide voter registration system so that we can see. So when, when uh, Kim Wyman goes into uh, you know the Lewis County Courthouse on election day and registers and votes, they can suspend my ballot from Thurston County if it hasn't been counted. Or if it has been counted, they can tell me, I'm sorry, we can't issue you a ballot because your ballot's already been returned. And I have high confidence in our system that that's happening live time across the state. So even if a voter gets 10 ballots issued, only one is going to be counted. So you guys have been doing this for a while there in Washington state. What have you what have you noticed in terms of voter fraud? What is the uh, you know, how often does that happen and how has turnout been affected? Because I think we see that uh, in the partisan divide sometimes where one side feels like they may not be able to get their voters to cast votes if it goes to mail in or they think the other side may get more votes cast that way. Well, I'll start with turnout and I'll, I'll come back to the, the uh, fraud issue in a second. So in terms of turnout, um, we are always in the high highest uh, number of states that have the highest turnout across the country in any given election. So we're in the top five states usually on a consistent basis. And it it really, in terms of campaigns, it's like any election. The campaign that gets more of their voters to the polls and the other campaign wins. 
that's the nature of elections. So, you know, and you're so, a Republican in in deep blue Washington. <laughs> so, I, I guess that that at least proves uh, anecdotally that it doesn't necessarily benefit one party or the other because you've got a lot of Democrats uh, serving in office there. But here you are, Secretary of State elected there as a Republican. Absolutely, and and I think you know it does change the way you campaign. However, and this is what I think a lot of uh, political parties on both sides uh, campaigns do not like about vote by mail is you, instead of having a single day where you can make everything kind of um, build to that day and have all your resources deployed on one day. In our state, mm. you have to do it over 20 days, the 20-day voting mm. period. But I think states like Texas, you you all have uh, early voting, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. we do. Well, so you've, you've already kind of dipped your toe in the water of having a large voting window. And now, you know, like I said, now it may be 18 or 20 days long. Um, so, so again, it's the campaigns that can really manage that the best that are the ones that are going to win. Um, or, you know, I like to think the campaigns that have the best candidates, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, going to voter fraud, I, I think that, um, you know, we had a lot of time to, to build in the, the controls to make sure that um, people have confidence in the system. And so one of the things people will always point to is, oh, well, you know, people vote more than once and, and you have people doing dual voting. So Washington is one of the states, and I can't remember if Texas is part of this, um, a project called ERIC, which is the Electronic Registration Information Center. And what we do is we do data matching of our voter registration list among states. So we find people that have moved from Washington to Texas. And when they move, we get notification and then we notify the voter, hey, it looks like you live in Dallas. Do you still want to be registered to vote in Washington, and then the voter can can update the re- registration record in both states. Um, so the other feature of this system is we can now cross-check our voter history between the states and see if we have people that appear to have voted more than once. So in Washington State in 2018, we had about 3.2 million people who cast a ballot in the um, midterm election statewide. Out of those 3.2 million people, it appears that about 100 people may have voted more than once. Hmm. So is it perfect? No. Is it rampant voter fraud? No. Is it acceptable that 100 people voted more than once? No, because they canceled out the votes of 100 other people. So um, so no, it's not. And that's why we are prosecuting. Uh, we're doing the research. The counties are going to look into that information. And those voters who appear to have tried to vote fraudulently are going to be prosecuted. Um, I will tell I think you. It's always great to get those hard numbers yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, and you know, it's 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 not the only evidence, but the it really backs up what I believe from my you know twenty seven years of experience doing this. Secretary Wyman, there's what five or six states, Washington there included, that that vote by mail right now. Where do you think we are in ten years? Oh, I, I think you're seeing a westward expansion of vote by mail. I think COVID nineteen is um, accelerating that. Um, I've been saying for the last five years that by 2025, um, most of the Western states will be vote by mail states. And I think COVID-19 is going to just just make that happen faster. Um, and it's interesting if you look at women's suffrage, which, of course, this year is the centennial of that, uh, the 19th Amendment passing. You see a similar trend where the states that started with women's suffrage are the states that started with vote by mail. And so I think you're going to see it move eastward. But I don't think our country will ever completely move 100 percent vote by mail. 
Uh, what are some of the things on the checklist that people need to think about before they decide to do this, though? I mean, there's there's infrastructure that's involved in switching your system over to something like this. Oh, absolutely. Um, first and foremost is who is going to do the issuance of the ballots and who is going to count them on the other end? And most states have a localized system. I, I believe Texas is your county clerks that um, or recorders mm-hmm. that are the ones that, that run elections. Um, and so and you have a ridiculous number of counties, if I recall. Um, and I mean that in a loving way. <laughs> um, we have 39 here in Washington. And wow. so, but you, you know, you move further east, it's at the local level um, where uh, it might be town clerks that are doing this, where you have hundreds of jurisdictions doing the counting. So do they have the capacity for the volume that they're going to see? Can they, can they do a 50% increase where 50% of their voters are voting by mail in an election? while still doing a poll site election. Do they have that, uh, the high speed scanners to sort the envelopes that come in? You look at counties like Dallas, is it Travis County? No, that's Austin. Um, you look Dallas at, County. Yes, Travis County. Big, you know, big numbers. Do you have the, the throughput possibility? Do you have the space in your shop to process those ballots? Do you have the staffing levels? Um, so just the mechanics of the elections alone are the challenge there. And then um, does your election law allow for the time it's going to take to process the ballots? Because in our state, half of our ballots come in election week. Half. Wow. So if you have three million ballots, you know, at one point, you know, 1.5 million come in election week and you have to have that capacity to get them processed and counted. Um, And so, you know, do you certify your election in Texas uh, 10 days after election day, 20 days after it matters. And so it's looking at not only the laws in place, but also the logistics. We just talked to a former resident who lived in Seattle. She moved to Dallas. And one thing she said is that uh, the vote by mail, one byproduct of it, is it takes a while for the results to actually be counted. You're not getting them election night. Is that the case? Oh, absolutely. And again, it depends on your state. So in our state, you can have a a vote by mail ballot returned as long as it has a postmark of election day or before. So we receive the same number of ballots on Wednesday of election week that we receive on Tuesday. And so you're talking about hundreds of thousands, well, depends on the election, but tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of ballots that are coming in in the the election week. And so we're doing really well when we have election results on Friday. Doesn't that drive the candidates and the campaigns crazy, though? And the media. Don't forget the media. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yep. And and I think that's another thing that we have to build in the expectation for across the country. You saw it in Michigan. You saw it in Wisconsin. When you have that dramatic jump of absentee ballots, it's going to delay election results by days and possibly weeks. I'm curious as I hear you talk about this, because it sounds like you're so passionate about mail-in voting. Do you catch flack from other Republicans across the country? Because I don't want to paint anybody with a broad brush here. There are Republicans who are for it, for sure. But a lot of them are against it. Do you catch flack? Do they say, what are you doing? Why are you talking this up? Stop it. Well, I've been doing elections for 27 years, and I started as a county elections director. So my roots are in administrative, uh, the administrative side more than the political side. Um, And I always defer to that. And I've been a champion of vote by mail for decades. And my colleagues, uh, again, the further east you move and maybe the further south you move. um, Yeah, they say I'm crazy. Um, But now they're calling and saying, so I understand that you're crazy, but how do you do it again? (laughs) (laughs) My, how times change. You you, you make them believers eventually. Just got to stay the course. (laughs) Or a virus makes them believers, perhaps. Uh, Secretary, I'm curious how much the the, the state or the counties might have saved in the last 20 years when they switched over to this by 
you know, not having to order the voting machines and the voting booths and stuff like that? Well, you know, it's hard to say. Our state evolved to vote by mail in 2005. I mean, I can point to the the moment in time we became a vote by mail state because we had the closest governor's race in the country's history in 2004. And that was our last statewide poll site election. It was um, fraught with the same things that any close election has, accusations of um, voter fraud, voter suppression, all of that happened. And uh, I'd love to tell the tale. And um, in that that evolution, we and I forgot the question now. It's terrible that that. that no, just curious if, if there's been a big cost savings. In oh, this. thank you. Yes. So so that was the same time that the Help America Vote Act was being enacted across the country, where we had to get rid of punch card voting. And Texas certainly went through that with us. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we had to create statewide voter registration databases. So we made the move in 2005, and I was at the county at the time. And we would have had to open up in my county. We would have had to um, provide voting machines that were accessible in 70 polling locations across our county. And just the numbers of that for my county was close to a million dollars. Whereas instead, we switched our, our whole operation over to vote by mail. So I've never tried to sell vote by mail as a cost savings. I think it's a cost shift. I think our turnout numbers increase, the participation rates increase, um, voters are better served because they have more time to get information, we send out voter pamphlets and such. But at the end of the day, you still need about the same number of people to process ballots in the back end in your election shop that are absentee ballots that you do um, run a polling place. So you don't save on personnel, which is always your biggest cost in any operation, and you just shift the cost from printing ballots that go to a a polling place and mailing them to every voter. Last thing from me, Secretary, uh, you know, as we get ready to head into November here, uh, there's, you know, a, a lot of people are, are worried about, you know, from the last election, they want paper ballots. They they worry about systems possibly being hacked by foreign actors. Uh, and then now we have this new layer of the virus and, and people not wanting to wait in line. How much of a relief is it uh, when you're sitting in, in the chair that you sit in that uh, none of that's a concern or at least it's not nearly as much of a concern as it is in other places in the country? Oh, you know, we're in a strong place and and that does make me happy. We're not immune. No voting system is immune from the COVID-19 environment. Um, We, you know, we still have to have, like I said, hundreds of election workers, seasonal workers, and most of those workers are over 60. So we're losing probably two thirds of our workforce out of the gate, like every other jurisdiction across the country and are going to have to backfill that. Um, But paper ballots give me a lot of um, confidence that I can recreate that uh, election if we get taken to court or if an election challenge happens. Um, We can recount those paper ballots. We can do it in a really public manner and instill confidence. And um, all of our processes are built to that that standard. Um, How do you defend a close governor's race? And uh, you know, that's that's been our standard for 16 years. And it's, you know, puts us in a good position here. And, and I I hope that in the next uh, few years that all states move to a paper ballot for that reason. I think you can defend paper in a way you can't defend um, electronic voting. It's an eye opening conversation, Secretary. Outstanding. That was the whole point, right? <laughs> Okay, so I love that that she says uh, that she's got colleagues across the country. That's my takeaway here who say, 
you're crazy for doing this. And now they're calling her up and saying, you're crazy. But how'd that go again? Uh, because they you know, want to take the notes down. Jason, I think this is something that in a lot of places is just getting a whole fresh look uh, because of the times that we're in right now. And I mean, you look at states like Nebraska, it doesn't get much more deep red than Nebraska. And, uh, you know, I recently read that they're going to be doing uh, mail voting there. And uh, Republicans and Democrats alike seem enthusiastic about it when you when you read about it. So, you know, you do see sort of a shift going on there. Yeah, so you have Washington State, you have Nebraska, you have Colorado. There are a total of five states, and there might be a sixth one coming online very shortly. There's actually mm-hmm. a, an entire organization called Vote at Home, and you can find them online, voteathome.org, that is putting the information out there, explaining to states how this works, why it is beneficial. And the woman who runs this Vote at Home organization is named Amber McReynolds. She used to run the city of city elections for Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. This is a Colorado-based organization, but it's nationwide. They have members and, and people tapping them for information all over the place. We got her on the phone from her home in Colorado. Amber, tell us what your organization does. Sure. Well, I'm the CEO of the National Vote at Home Institute, and we're a 501c3 nonpartisan nonprofit. And our entire goal is to make the voting process more accessible, more secure, and more convenient for voters. And and you have, you know, quite a bit of on-the-ground experience, too. You ran the elections for the city of Denver in Colorado for a while before you took this role, right? Yeah, I, I was an elections administrator and election official for over 14 years and was director of elections in Denver for seven years prior to taking this role. So, Amber, give us your thoughts about mail-in voting. Sure. Well, I, um, being from Colorado, I, I ran the election process actually when we used to be primarily in-person voting. So I ran that and I, I actually transitioned Colorado and Denver um, over multiple different voting systems as well as different voting methods and models. And so I actually believe the, the most effective way is to mail every voter a ballot um, while preserving in-person options during early voting and also on election day. So I'm one that believes we should give voters more options, make the process secure uh, so that voters have choice in, in how they vote. And there are five states who do it now. Why aren't there more? Uh, Well, so there's five states that mail out a ballot to every voter, and then California is about to announce that they're going to be the kind of next sixth state, if you will. They're more than 70% there, and they're going to kind of take the leap this year, given given COVID. Uh, But primarily, I think that it's really about change. I think change can be difficult if you've done things a certain way for a long period of time. Is this a partisan thing, though? When you guys went to mail-in ballots, did you notice a great uptick in votes for one or for the other or a downtick? No, we saw an an increase overall across all demographics, all party affiliations, all age groups. We saw it really helped all voters. Uh, And so there isn't a a partisan slant, if you will. It just makes the process easier for everyone to engage. Amber, what's the turnout like? Have you seen an increase at all in turnout when people can sit on their couch and pull up their laptop or their iPhone and research a candidate or an issue? Yeah, we've seen an uptick in uh, the the larger elections, so kind of the even-year general elections. That uptick is smaller because in, say, a presidential year, usually it depends on whether or not the incumbent 
uh, is there or if it's an open seat. And so turnout can can really increase regardless of where you are. And in, in swing states in particular, we see a high engagement in presidential years. But the biggest uptick that we've seen in terms of vote by mail has been in primary elections, local elections, school board elections, those elections that we that you don't often hear a lot about that don't get as much news coverage, they see the biggest increase. And, you know, Colorado just did their primary, as did Washington. Both states lead the nation right now in turnout, even though they were March primaries. They were already start. We already started to see the impacts of COVID, and they had 50% turnout in a in a primary election, which is higher than say the state of Texas had in their entire mm-hmm. midterm election in 20, in 2018. So wow. you know you see that kind of jump in turnout. It's it's dramatic, and and all the vote at home states also even in the midterm election in 2018 had a much higher turnout than the rest of the country did. Uh, they were all in the top seven states for for turnout. Can we talk about the paper trail here? Just because inherent with mail-in ballots, you have a piece of paper now that has recorded that vote. How significant is that in this day and age? It's it's extremely important, and all the security experts recommend right now that there be a paper audit trail, or at the very least, uh, at the very least, a paper audit trail, and then a paper ballot as the as the as the record, the formal record of the ballot cast. So. This model provides that. I always say that the easiest and most effective way to, to deliver a paper ballot to a voter is by mailing it to them at home. Hmm. Um, and so that's what this model does. And it enables things like risk limiting audits, which Colorado did, was the first state to implement uh, a risk limiting audit, which is the, the recommended form of auditing to ensure security and ensure your systems are operating correctly. So hmm. that's really what this this model can provide as well. Have you guys had cases of fraud there, Amber, in Colorado? Yeah, so I, uh, what I would say about the system is, is there's multiple checks uh, sort of throughout the system. You know, first being that we mail a ballot to you, so we need to know where you are to get that ballot to you because it can't be forwarded. And then when the ballot comes back in, there's a there's a check of signature verification to make sure that your signature matches what what's on record. And if there's a mismatch, we we send a letter. Uh, Colorado sends a letter and asks for you to provide additional information and validate that you sent that ballot in. Mm. So that's kind of that second check that's really important uh, that matters in terms of security, and that enables us to check to to catch things if there is an issue. And there have been instances where there was an issue identified in that, and then it got prosecuted. Uh, the most recent being um, post-2016, uh, the former chairman of the GOP uh, party, <laughs> the Republican Party in Colorado, was actually prosecuted for voting his wife's ballot. I think I remember that. But, you know, yeah. one of the big concerns there, there is among conservatives in Texas is that maybe, you know, not that a ballot would go to an empty mailbox and someone would steal the ballot and vote on it, but that there would be undue influence um, Mm. on, on, you know, let's say a a little old guy lives down the street who might need some help or can't read or things like that. There might be undue influence. How do you protect against that or can you? Yeah, so a couple of things that are important with that, and we always recommend that, that states consider what their penalties are in the law around intimidation interference, uh, support, if any. So if a voter can get uh, help with their ballot, you know, what what are the requirements around that? Do you have to put a witness signature and have your, you know, that person write down their name if they're assisting? Those things are all important in states that have a lot of this because over time they have developed systems like that to make sure that uh, there isn't that undue influence. So we need to make sure that 
regardless of the voting method, there is no intimidation and that voters are empowered to make choices on their own and not be uh, unduly interfered with in that process. One of the things in Colorado, for instance, if you feel that you've been intimidated, um, you can actually still take your mail ballot in or just go in person into a vote center and say, hey, I messed this up at home or I want to uh, get a new ballot and vote that way. Um, so you have those extra assurances, which are really important to make sure that voters don't feel intimidated. We didn't see cases like that. And I ran elections a long time and we just didn't see those sorts of things happening. You know, earlier, Jason and I both discovered that we are alike in in yet more one more bad way. And that is that neither one of us ever signs our name the same. And it just looks like chicken scratch no matter how we do it. How does that process work? Is it do you guys have like is it like a camera that scans these to, to check and then a human comes in if there's uh, something flagged or how, how do you do that? How do you do it with so many ballots? Yeah, so the larger jurisdictions in state like Colorado and California, they have what's called ballot sorting equipment. And so it will be mm. sorters will take a picture of your signature. And then within that sorting equipment, there's actually software that checks your signature on file versus what you signed your envelope with. Mm. If uh, it can match that through the software, then it's good and it moves on. If it doesn't match, then your ballot goes in front of two election judges. And so the on screen, they will compare the envelope signature to what they have on file, and we may have 30 documents for you. So they can go back and check multiple documents if they need to. And if it doesn't match, you get notified immediately. Uh, in the last election, I think that Colorado had about a 0.5% mismatch, meaning oh, they wow. reached out to then those voters and they follow up and voters can cure that. So if you are a voter that signs your name differently every time, you just have to make sure you cure each time and they make it easy to cure. Um, but that is part of the safeguard in the process. We would be in that 0.5% probably, Jason. <laughs> um, Amber, I wanna ask you in the final few minutes here too about the financial savings. When you were in charge uh, at Denver, um, how much How much does it save, or how much does it save nationwide when you look at these five states that already do it, maybe a sixth coming online? How much money is saved statewide by, by mailing this as opposed to having uh, all kinds of precincts everywhere? Uh, in Colorado, when uh, Colorado went to this system in 2014, uh, the Pew Research Center actually analyzed the cost savings across the state and found an average of 40% savings in administrative costs. Wow. Uh, across all counties that were interviewed, which was the bulk of, of the counties interviewed. And so it kind of depends. I always say it depends on where a county is and what they're spending right now um, to, to determine if they're going to see that kind of savings or if it'll be uh, less. Um, and the only other thing I would say is historically elections have been underfunded as it is. So that's part of the reason we see big lines and we see you know, machine issues, that kind of thing. And so I always hesitate to say something's going to save money when you're already not funding the thing uh, as you should be, um, but it does help with uh, what I would call cost containment, not increasing costs, but actually creating some efficiencies in certain areas. Let me ask you this. Uh, with the coronavirus right now, I think that it's changing some minds about uh, voting by mail. Uh, and and you've been affiliated with this for so long that obviously your name is attached to it. That's how we found you. I'm just curious, anecdotally, have you been reached out to by more people since this has transpired? Do you feel like there is a, a change in momentum right now? Yes. <laughs> our, our world has... Um, gotten very busy. Uh, it was busy before, but uh, a lot busier in the last month and a half. And the primary reason, right, is we're trying to help state and local election officials get prepared for the increase that, that they're seeing. 
Um, and also we've put out a plan for how states can scale vote at home, especially states that haven't had a lot of vote by mail. Uh, and there's ways to think about it from a systems perspective and, and a policy perspective to make sure that the right procedures are put in place. And a state like Texas, for instance, would I think benefit from some of the experiences in other Western states, but also from the plan we put out in terms of how best to scale this model. Um, and we've certainly seen, you know, a, a significant amount of interest, primarily because the the pandemic and the issues that we have right now with with public health is that. Uh, it's exposed the significant vulnerabilities in reliance on an in-person voting model that's primarily on one day, that relies, relies on large crowds, and frankly relies on a workforce that the average age is right around 70. Mm -hmm. And so given the vulnerabilities with all those factors, um, there's significant interest in this method of voting because not only is it more convenient, but it's also more safe and secure uh, right now, especially amongst a pandemic. Do you know if you've gotten any of that interest from Texas other than these uh, two guys with the podcast? Uh, we There's been definitely some questions and we put out a lot of resources on our website. So um, we share all of that with election officials. So my guess is uh, there's probably some election officials looking at some of our information. Amber, what would you tell Texans who might be a little nervous about this? You know, they, they might not trust this yet. Sure. Well, I would say look to other states that have had a lot of, of, of voting at home. Uh, this isn't a partisan issue. Uh, it's been adopted in blue states, just like it's been adopted in red states like Utah. Uh, Nebraska has recently expanded more vote at home options. North Dakota, the majority of counties actually mail a ballot to every elector in North Dakota. Um, so there's a lot of examples of use. And I would encourage folks to talk to their, uh, to their friends in other states that maybe vote this way. Um, and get their perspective, and then don't be afraid of change. I think it's I think it's good to examine new ways of doing things, especially when um, we're facing the the crisis that we're facing now. All right, Amber, thanks so much. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, so you know, interesting stuff. Hopefully, we've uh, answered some questions uh, for people who you know haven't really thought much about this, or who've thought about this and don't know, you know, how would this work if we were to do something like this in Texas? It is interesting uh, that you know uh, both of these people, you know, the you know with the organization here that uh, deals with vote by mail, as well as the Secretary of State in Washington, uh, they're hearing from all of these other states and localities uh, across the country, uh, including from here in Texas. You know, I wanted to say one more thing about uh, Harvard and the uh, Harris uh, poll came out. Uh, it's called Harvard Caps and Harris Poll. They recently came out with a poll about vote by mail uh, across the country, and they said 72% of the respondents said they're for it. So, I mean, that's mm. a pretty overwhelming majority there. When I hear the stories from Daniela, what it was like to vote by mail sitting at the House researching the candidates, the issues, uh, you know, all that stuff. It's Hey, it sounds appealing to me. But in Texas, this remains a legal fight. This remains a partisan fight. And there's still some some uh, hurdles to overcome there before Texas would consider this. Of course, the legislature reconvenes in January. I, I'd guarantee you of the thousands of bills that get introduced, something like this will likely get introduced. How far it goes is what is what no one really knows yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let us know what you think about it, by the way. If you're a skeptic, if you're a full-on supporter, if you're still sitting on the fence after you've uh, heard all of this today uh, on Twitter. We are at Yalitics. And of course, you can always leave us comments where you get your podcast. We, we do read those and uh, we appreciate them, even if they're not nice. 
Yeah, even if they are, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I get I get nice ones, Jason. I, I don't know if I'm getting your comments or what, man. I think somebody's forwarding me all the not nice ones. <laughs> hey, uh, sorry we're a little late on this uh, podcast, but we wanted to make sure that we included a state official from the state of Washington to explain how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Secretary of State Kim Wyman could only do the interview with us on Tuesday, the day of release. We said, you know what? That's fine. We're going to hold off on the release for uh, eight or 10 hours so we can get this in here. So hopefully you got something from Kim Wyman, from Amber McReynolds, and of course, our colleague, Danielle Montgomery, who turned us on to this entire idea. We're always looking for different ideas. You never know when something's going to you know, land in a podcast. A conversation might lead to something like this or a news story or whatever yeah. it may be. That's yeah, be- how journalists find so many other stories. Yeah. I always tell people who know me, be very careful what you say around me because it might have to turn into a story. I do warn them ahead of time, though. I'll, uh, I'll take that advice, man. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, thanks uh, to everybody for listening uh, out there. Stay safe and uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode. <laughs>